Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco, and my other good buddy, Tanner Hoops, coming from the Sioux Falls Canaries here tonight. So, gentlemen, before we dive in to talk about these two game threes, let's first of all mention the other big news out of the American Association today, and that is that Sioux Falls Canaries manager Mike Meyer, named by the league as the manager of the year today. Uh, you know, Tanner, I think you've come across Mike once or twice this season. So how do you feel about him winning the award? You know, I couldn't be happier for Mike. You know, I get to see the team through a little different lens than most people do. And, you know, I, I see the way that he interacts with the guys, how he, you know, he's, uh, he, he, he truly does manage the team. You know, it's, uh, it's about putting guys in places where uh, they can be successful and, you know, and maybe, maybe doing things out of the ordinary and, you know, knowing when is the right move. Um, you know, when's the right time to make uh, what type of move it may be. And, you know, and there's a human element to uh, being a manager to baseball. And uh, Mike just hits all those buttons the right way. You know, he knows when uh, when you need to step back, give a guy some space or even some time, you know, and just kind of uh, let him, you know, find his groove again. And, and he knows when, uh, when you know, you got to get up in somebody's face, rear back, and challenge him. It's just, it's really fun that I've been able to, to see how he's uh, pushed all the buttons and, you know, I think uh, the guys have responded when uh, when he's challenged them, and you know, I just I see the work that he puts in and how much he cares, and uh, and it's really cool to see him get recognized for that. Kevin, I know you're not surprised by the selection of Meyer at all. I'm not. You know, he, you know, very deserving for the kind of turnaround that the Canaries had this year, and you know, and Rob, both you and I have had Mike on the show several times, and we both like Mike. But we've also have been tough when need to be, and honestly, there were a few times when we were questioning how long the leash does he have with the Canaries. So I was happier than a clown to see Meyer gets this uh, award, and you know, let's hope that's the momentum from the season and him winning this award will make the Canaries an even better ball club in 2024. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that, Kevin. And, uh, you know, Mike is one of the guys I love most in, in baseball in general. And I'm just so happy that uh, he's been able to turn this around. Because as you said, Kevin, we get a little worried when we see a manager having a couple of tough seasons that ownership may not be happy with that for very long. But he's the man now. And that's what we like about it for sure. Well, uh, let's jump into tonight's game threes and two, two completely ridiculous contests in a lot of ways. So, Kevin, I'm going to have you pick up with here in the West, and uh, you and Tanner can discuss uh, that completely ridiculous contest here tonight. <laughs> well, it started off innocently enough in the top of the first inning. Daniel Lingua reached on a single, eventually scored on a RBI single by Scott Oda, who continue to have a phenomenal season, and two cities up to a one nothing lead. They stretched it to 3 nothing in the second. As Lingo once again reached, stole, stole second base, and then on a John Nagelski single, the ball was bobbled in center field by Jacob Robson, which allowed Lingo to score. Nagelski scored later in the inning, on a Scott Oda sacrifice fly to right field, and Sioux, Fall, Sioux City is off to a 3 nothing lead, and, you know, you're thinking positive for Sioux City, but we got to talk about this third inning. 
Jacob Robson leads off with a walk. L.J. Hatch, fly out the center field. Okay, that's enough, right? Odubo Herrera fouls the ball off his leg. And there was at least a five-minute delay. And I, I don't know if they were talking amputation at some point or what, but I've you know, injuries are part of the game, but boy, that was seemed to be a ridiculously long amount of time that they took to look at his injury. And miraculously, they put a shin guard on him, and he was all better again. But I think Trenton Topsicar was cruising until then. And then it seemed like... Was having to stand around for five minutes while they can't say train your train staff playing mash or something. Um, just seemed to get him off his game. He gave up a end of giving up a single to Herrera, and that was the end of the line for for Topicar. Then we had a really interesting play. I believe it was Justin Wiley ground ball down the third baseline. Nicholas Webb calls it a fair ball. I mean, it wasn't even close to being fair. Well, J.J. January, the home plate umpire, did come in and overrule him. So it turned out to be the right call. Justin Wiley strikes out. After yet another pitching change, Jan Hernandez strikes out. So you're still 3 nothing after three innings. Well, then, um, in the fourth inning, one more run for Sioux City as Delvinson singled, advanced to second on a stolen base, advanced to third on a bad pickoff attempt, and scored on an infield single by Daniel Lingua. So now you're 4 nothing, right? So end up being 5 nothing as... Jimenez gets a home run in the top of the fifth, and then it all fell apart. In Kansas City's fifth inning, three straight walks, a strikeout, a run scores on a balk, and then another balk was called eventually, and then Jan Hernandez, two-run double, Kansas City's right back in this 5-3. What are you thinking at this time, Tanner? Yeah, you're looking at it, and it looks like, you know, Sioux City's, you know, not going to cruise, maybe not have it in the bag, because it's never the the case when uh, you're going down to Kansas City. But let me put it this way. Um, you know, if you guys are fantasy football guys, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, earlier this week, you know, we had Monday Night Football. It's uh, it's Jets Bills. I've got, uh, I've got uh, Tyler Bass, the Buffalo kicker. Guy I'm playing as the Jets defense, you know, and it's like a – two-point separation between us. So they've got those little uh, percentage points on ESPN uh, with the app where you can track, you know, you've got a win probability of, you know, whatever it may be. I see Bass doink a field goal off the upright and in the force overtime, and uh, the only guy I'm, you know, I'm only opponent uh, would be the Jets' defense. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that should do it. I've got a 99% chance to win. And once you know, it was a you know special teams uh, touchdown that ended up being the difference, and I lose that game after having a 99% chance to win uh, at the beginning of overtime. You know, that's kind of how it had to feel for Sioux City a little bit. You know, everything just seemed to be going their way 
Uh, but a few things, you know, some weird quirks happened. And, uh, and I tell you, there were some weird stoppages in the game. There were some, uh, some um, I mean, there's human element to it. Um, it's probably the best way to put it. And, uh, you know, it, it all just kind of seemed to, to form a perfect storm for Kansas City to, to mount that comeback. You know, I may be able to top your fancy football story. I heard this on a mm. local radio station. I don't know the full story. I thought the guy had like a three-bet parlay. And it's one of those parlays where one is like ridiculously easy to get and then you have to try to get the other two. The one that was ridiculously easy to get, the guy had a parlay where Aaron Rodgers had to get half a yard of total offense. He got the other two bets of the parlay right and lost. Because Aaron Rodgers did not even get one yard of offense. So, you know, but it is. It is like a situation like that, you know. It's just something that just seems ridiculous, something that you, you can't uh, plan on, you can't expect, and all of a sudden it becomes reality. Yeah, that's exactly. And reality for Sioux City happened in the seventh inning after a leadoff strikeout to L.J. Hatch. Odubel Herrera hit by a pitch. And then it just it went downhill from there. Justin Wiley walks. Herman walks. Jan Hernandez walks. Mike Rodolfo walks. Taylor Snyder gets an infield single. A wild pitch to go to another run. Before you know it, voila. Kansas City is up 7-6. to six. They tack on two more runs in the eighth inning. But the story of the game is walks. You know, there's... Sioux City staff, who we have talked about, has just been the strength of this ball club this year. Just could not find home plate. You know, there wasn't. They didn't get squeezed on very many calls, and you just had to wonder what was up. Was it? Because it just seemed like everybody was missing. I don't know if it's psychological at that point or what, but it was just just a nightmare for Sioux City Explorers, and you hate to see their season go down the flames that way. They had a chance in the last of the eighth. They had two runners on with um, two outs. Delvinson takes a called strike three that was probably about four or five inches inside and got framed. And then got tossed. And that was your ball game, basically. Sioux City didn't amount another threat. And Kansas City ends up moving on to the Miles Wolf Cup Finals as a, with a 9-6 victory. It was a pretty crazy game tonight because you just looked at that and you just thought to yourself, Kansas City has is just doing nothing. I mean, it just it's amazing how quickly these games can turn. And you know what what's funny about this to me, Tanner, is that the you know while Kansas City's a, a fairly hitter friendly park kind of thing, um, you know it's it's not it's not Sioux Falls uh, kind of thing. to see a team just all of a sudden come from out of nowhere against a Sioux City club like that. I, I can't imagine what it's like in that Sioux City locker room right now. You, you got to feel like you you threw away the championship chance here. But yeah, was it, Rob? I, I think I think Kansas City only had five or six hits. Go ahead, Tanner. Yeah, I, I look at yeah, it like uh, that, You know, I I do look at the way that you know this game ended. Um, you know, kind of like uh, you know Vikings Buccaneers on Sunday. You know, a lot of self inflicted wounds that. 
you know, it's one thing to, to lose a game to, you know, go up against a good team, get outplayed. Um, but it's another one when you, you feel like, you know, you've, uh, you've kind of let one slip away and you were your own worst enemy. And I, I think five of Kansas City's nine runs, they didn't have to put the ball in play for. Um, you know, that, that's a tough pill to swallow. It's not to take anything away from KC and the job that they did, but, um, you know, it, it actually speaks to them in a lot of ways. You know, their ability to manufacture runs, uh, taking discipline, measured at bats. And, um, but you know, I, I think uh, when you look at Sioux City and, you know, I think uh, this is one that's going to sting for a long time. You know, Steve Montgomery has, uh, has done a great job in this league ever since he uh, came in nine years ago. And, you know, I know he holds himself to a standard. And, you know, this is one that is going to leave a really, really bad taste in his mouth for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you, this is one that um, is going to sting. And they're going to be talking about in Sioux City for better or worse for a while now. You know, Kevin, Guys, I might have put in the negative juju here because – I pointed out today on social media that it was the four-year anniversary of St. Paul defeating Sioux City to win the American Association Championship in 2019. And if you guys remember, it was a grand slam home run by Chesney Young. That was the difference in that game. So I can't imagine. I got to imagine this one tonight stings even more, though. Well, let me ask you about that, too, Kevin, because we've had Steve on the show quite a bit here, and what's funny about him is that we'll be talking about a game from six years ago, and he'll say, oh, in the eighth inning, our guy throws a slider on an 0-2 pitch and, and winds up being a ball, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, the next one is hit to the shortstop, and he'll give you every detail of one inning that happened six years and nine days ago or something. So guy's got an incredible memory, and I know this is one that is going to be haunting that memory for quite a while. And you got to imagine that Montgomery's going to just be second-guessing everything in the game. You know he's going to break everything down by innings. You know, I'm sure quarterback's going to say, was it a sign of panic when you brought your closer in the seventh inning? But you know, one side of that says, "Well, you can't you can't save the ninth inning unless you get out of the seventh. But you know, to me, maybe that maybe that just sent a, a sign of panic to the ball club. Could be absolutely right. Well, let's jump out east, where um, Milwaukee looks for the second straight season like they were headed for some incredible fortune. And uh, some defensive laps late in that contest cost them. So first of all, let's start. So, top of the second inning, it's a, it's a 0-0 tie through one. In the second, uh, Gabriel Cancel leads off of the walk, steals second, scores on a Drew Ward base hit. And Drew Ward has not had a particularly great season, Tanner. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, Anthony Barone's given him a little bit more play time. He got that big hit in game one to win the contest, got his team on the board earlier in this contest. Drew Ward is just a gamer, and he's a guy that ups his game as you know, fans in uh, this league. Uh, it's going to come as no surprise to them. Once September rolls around, he ups his game, and he elevates himself in the biggest moments. And uh, you know, I think that's what sets him apart as one of the more special players in this league. And you know, he's just a guy that you love to have come this time of year. Chicago ra- rallies in the bottom of the second. The two-out rally, uh, Tanner, which has been a huge thing for the dogs in the series, is Matt Bosher walks and Cody Bohannick, after a stolen base by Bocher, delivers a single into right to tie the game. And again, that two-out thing. Chicago, I'm, I'm really impressed by that because it just seems like 
you know, two outs guys really focus in and seem to come away with a big hit. Yeah, and that's one of those things that, you know, I mentioned when I was on a few episodes ago. It's like a, a goal in a hockey game in the first or the last minute of a period. You know, it counts the same on the scoreboard, what have you, but, you know, it does mean more. It does count as, uh, as something more, you know, momentum, uh, psychology, whatever you want to attribute it to. It absolutely does uh, impact the game just a little bit more. And I tell you what, uh, Chicago, for whatever reason, that has kind of been an aspect they've dominated throughout this postseason. It's a big reason why they're going to be playing for a championship here in a couple of days. Milwaukee responds right away in the top of the third as uh, Brian Torres singles to start the inning. Cam Balego is hit by a pitch to put two on. A fielder's choice, but runners at the corners before Cancel comes up with a base hit into right field driving home Morales, then it became just an incredible performance by the Milwaukee pitching staff. Kyle Mora had given up that run of the second, but dominated in the third and fourth. Uh, Juan Echeverria came on and tossed two scoreless frames. Christian Young looked great. You, you, you had a feeling of Peyton Gray, they decided to go with in the eighth. Now, Tanner, Anthony Barone has used Gray in a wide variety of circumstances this year. Were you surprised by the eighth inning appearance by the closer for the team? Yeah, I really wasn't. It's one of those high leverage situations that, you know, Kevin alluded to a few moments ago. It's like, you know, you, you have to get to the point uh, to save that game of the night. You know, you got to maybe bring in your closer, your uh, most trusted reliever in a little bit earlier. You know, that ninth inning doesn't happen if you, uh, you know, feel like that uh, you've got a guy out there who's not going to give you a chance to get there with that lead intact. So, um, no, I wasn't overly shocked by it. You know, Peyton Gray is Peyton Gray. And uh, just he, he, we, we know what he's about and uh, how good he is. And tell you what, Anthony Barone, it was just a situation, it seemed to me, where he wanted to put the ball in the hands of his most trusted reliever. Now, last year, Milwaukee wound up uh, taking that huge lead in Game 5 of the championship series, but the defense gave up three errors in the beginning that Fargo-Moorhead rallied back to tie the game and eventually win in 10. It was defense again tonight that had a, a, a bit of a lapse for the milkman. Cody Bohanna grounds the ball with one down to third base. It sure looked like uh, he's thrown out. Aaron Hill makes a, a fine play. Um, the umpire ruled him safe. Matt Yazel even seemed a bit surprised by that, by that call. Next up is Ben Lavorsi, who hits the ball to left field. Rudy Martin is camped up underneath him. I don't know if he lost it in the lights or whatever, but it winds up miss, he winds up missing it. That puts two on. A pass ball by Roy Morales moves both runners up, and Nick Heath winds up hitting a sacrifice fly to tie the game. I, I, to be honest, I looked at that, Tanner. I thought, this is one of the best defensive teams in the American Association, but when the lights was on them, man, in the biggest moment of the game, they, they sure faltered at that point. Boy, that's just, yeah, like you said, it's something that you don't expect from Milwaukee. You know, it's one of the big reasons they've been successful throughout the season, one of their uh, biggest uh, you know, assets to what they are as a team. And for whatever reason, that just, you know, wasn't the case in the biggest moment. So, you know, I, I know that it's, you know, it's one game, what have you, when you look at the uh, the spectrum of 100 and change. But, boy, it, it was the biggest one. And uh, I know that's going to be one that's going to stick with Milkman, uh, Milkman, Milk, Milkman fans. That's probably the best way to put it for a long time. You know, Kevin, we had Anthony Barone on, and he specifically talked about he made defense his big priority. And you were talking about Steve Montgomery second-guessing himself. I'm looking at Anthony Barone and thinking he did everything right. You know, I, I think his team just kind of let him down. 
he can't go out there and catch the ball for the guys. There's only all you can do is plug your best possible guys in, and you just hope that they get the job done. And but I know, I mean, we know how managers are. Barone's going to second guess himself for it, but he really has no reason to. These guys are professional ball players. Go out and make the play. Go out and make the pitch. Well, that uh, sends the game to extra inning. Neither team is able to generate anything in the tenth. Two fine defensive plays in, in the outfield for Chicago kept Milwaukee from being able to get anything going in that frame. Cody Bohannick leads off the bottom of the 11th with a base hit. Uh, he's moved over to second on sacrifice. The team decides then to walk intentionally Peyton Neals to put two on. Jack Mahoney comes on and strikes out Nick Heath. So it's two down. Once again, Ryan Lidge comes up. 0-2 pitch. Looking like trying to get him on the outside corner, but he winds up singling into left field, driving home the winning run. And Ryan Lidge, uh, you know, we were talking with Sam Brief about him before the series, Tanner, and how excited Sam was for Ryan getting this opportunity to not only be in front of his home fans and, and play in, in uh, a postseason, but, you know, kind of for some reason he's just been ignored by affiliate teams for some reason. To get this big hit tonight, I mean, I, I know that's got to be extra special for the club in general. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, Ryan Lidge has always been one of my favorite players, even before he was in this league. You know, I loved him at Notre Dame. You know, I think uh, there's still uh, one of my old demo tapes from my uh, my college uh, broadcast debut where he was playing against Wake Forest for a, a college ACC series, you know, and I, I've always loved Ryan Lidge. And, you know, I'm really excited for him to be able to have this opportunity to play for a championship. And, you know, it, it is amazing. He's one of those guys that you look at and you think, what? do affiliated teams not like in this guy? You know, it's like a, a, you see that with a few different guys in our league. And, you know, he's certainly one of them. It seems like all the tools are there. And, uh, you know, and, and the big moment just seems to be where guys uh, define themselves. And he looked really good in that kind of a situation and uh, came through in the biggest situation of his American Association career tonight. Kevin, you um, mentioned of, last night. Yes. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. Go ahead, well, I'll, I'll take your question, and then I uh, I do have the Sam Briefs call the game-winning hit um, queued up for us <laughs> to give a listen to. Okay, so you, you mentioned last night a, a guy like Trevor Lane um, got moved out of the starting rotation as they've added a few guys late in the season to there. Then he comes up with a big save for them and winds up getting the victory here tonight. So, you know, Lane got moved to the bullpen, and, and Butch Hobson found a, a way for him to be an instrumental part for this team to advance. Like I said, you know, at this this time of year, and we talked about it going in tonight, other than your starters from the first two games, it was going to be all hands on deck tonight. And once again, the situation with Chicago called for Trevor Lane to come into the game because they didn't get a long start tonight. So they did have to chew up a lot of their vaunted bullpen. And then when you get an extra innings, someone's got to go out there and get out. And tonight that was, that was Trevor Lane. So cue us up, Kevin. All right, here we go. Championship on the line. Lidge lines it softly into left field. It's down for a base hit. Bo Hammock is in to score. The Chicago Dogs are championship bound. (laughs) 
right on for Sam Brief. He, he didn't hit the high octaves like uh, Tom Window did. So uh, that's kind of an interesting ending there. So hey, good for Sam. So let's talk about good guys in this league. And awesome to awesome to hear. I couldn't agree with you more. Love Sam. He's a fantastic guy. Well, now we have Chicago, Kansas City. Um, two teams that had the home field advantage uh, for the division championship series, and that came back to be crucial for them as they both advance on here. So now we're going to see Kansas City having games three through five. We're going to start in Chicago on, on Saturday night. Uh, give us your uh, early prediction here for me, Tanner. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's still one of those that, you know, uh, I'm still trying to process the divisional championship series. But, you know, this is one that uh, I would be shocked if it does not go the distance. You know, Chicago has always kind of been a gritty team. And, you know, they've been a streaky team at times this season. You know, they had that long losing skid up in the early uh, portion of the schedule and then uh, rallied and briefly took the division lead late in the year with that long streak. So, you know, they're they're kind of an up-and-down team. They can be as hot as Colder or as uh, as anybody, really, in the league. And then Kansas City, you know, you just you know what you're going to get from them. They're they're loaded with talent, you know, up and down the roster. A lot of former big leaguers in there, guys who know how to win and have done so at the highest level. Uh, so this is a series that, you know, I do expect to go, uh, go the length. And, uh, you know, we'll have a winner-take-all game five. And, you know, I'm sure the league would be okay with that. We had a, about as good of a series as you could ask for a year ago. And, you know, if there's anything that has the uh, potential to, to up uh, the 2022 Miles Wolf Cup Championship Series, this may be it. So, no, this is this is going to be a lot of fun seeing two big markets, uh, a lot of high-leverage players on each side going at it. This, uh, this should be a really fun championship series. Kevin? Well, um, well first of all, I'm – the thoughts in my mind are, will the Milwaukee Milkmen players get discounted tacos and tequila tickets for Saturday? <laughs> because, I mean, come on, let's, 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 let's let the second guessing begin. If they're home at Franklin Field for the last two games, are we talking about a different series coming up? I love you, Michael Zimmerman. You've always been nice to me, but I think you may have cost your team on this one. But you know what? Your business, I don't get paid a dime for doing this, so I'm just going to be a second guesser. But love you, Zim, but I think you should have gave your baseball team a chance to win this and find a different weekend to put on this little festival. But like I said, it's not my money, so anyways... Okay, series. Guys, I have a wild hunch on this one. I have a feeling Chicago is going to take both games at Impact Field over the weekend. And they are going to find a way to win one in Kansas City. Frankly, Kansas City hasn't been I, the two nights they that they beat Sioux City. I'm not overly impressed for a team that's got that many guys with Major League Baseball experience. I just didn't think that was a great team. So I just got a feeling Chicago probably riding a little bit more emotion right now with the way that they came back and won the series. I think the Dogs are going to find a way to do it. I think they're going to win in four. I think 
Ashton Godot winds up going in games one, goes in game one, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back in game four. So I'm taking the Monarchs in four in this series. So and that winds up being the difference. Uh, let's jump into one other news from the American Association Kevin brought to my attention just a little bit ago here, and that is that it looks like Murfreesboro is going to be one of the expansion teams that we're going to see coming up next year or the year after that. Is that It looks like by this article here, they have inked a deal with the American Association to become a member of the league. And uh, just to give you an idea, fans, we've often talked about Cleburne kind of being out there at an island. The closest uh, rival, I guess we'll call it right now, unless there are other teams added in, would be Chicago, which is seven hours away. Ten hours to Cleburne, eight hours to Kansas City. So uh, we're going to see a little extra travel, Kevin, when, when Murfreesboro comes in is, into play. You just got to wonder, though, is that Murfreesboro, is this a, a plan to have a division that's going to stretch from there to all the way over to Cleburne? Right now, I believe, I looked it up, it's like an 11-and-a-half-hour drive from Murfreesboro to Cleburne. So maybe the plan is that you are going to find two other markets in, along between those two and try to come up with a southern division because I was really surprised to see the American Association look at that far to the southeast for for a expansion market because, it, I mean, give you a perspective, it's Murfreesboro is a suburb of Nashville. It's like 30-some miles west of Nashville. So if it looks like maybe this league is going to be going into uncharted waters by going into the, the southeast like that. So I find that to be a little bit interesting. I got to thank um, Deputy Commissioner Josh Buckholtz for passing the story on to me so that we could pass it on to the listeners tonight. Fantastic. Tanner, what are you thinking about a bus ride out down there to Tennessee? Let me tell you this. I'm not excited about the bus ride, but I love that the league is going to the Nashville metro area. I mean, that's such a great city. I, I think, you know, a few years back when – uh, Winnipeg was playing out in Jackson that maybe uh, the league saw there's potential for a market down there. And, you know, going back to, to what you said a few moments ago, Kevin, I, I truly do think there is a plan here. You know, uh, Josh Buckles and uh, Josh Schaub over in the league office, you know, those two guys, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to sound like one of those guys here, but they really truly have done a great job with this league. They're continually pushing the button. Uh, pushing the envelope, trying to explore uncharted territory. You know, we're seeing that with this uh, Baseball Champions League. You know, you see the way that the uh, the streaming service has continued to up its game over the years. You know, these uh, these guys and, and the league office, I mean, they are doing a great job and continually looking for ways to make this league better. And, you know, I think uh, it wasn't too long ago. I think you go back and, you you know, if you're a player looking for a shot in, uh, in you know, a, uh, baseball that's not affiliated, and you're picking between, you know, the American Association, the Atlantic League, and, you know, maybe it's kind of a coin flip. I, I don't feel like it was that many years ago that was the case, but I, I, I look at the two leagues now by comparison and, uh, and, and the strides that our league has taken, the steps forward that we've taken, uh, whereas everybody else has maybe stayed stagnant or struggled to come out of the pandemic. I, I think it's really cool what we're doing with this league. So, yeah, I may not be excited about sitting on a bus from Sioux Falls to the Nashville area, but, 
yeah, I tell you what, that's a great city. It's a great market. And, yeah, you know, it'd be cool to get out there and uh, and explore new places. You know, it's one of the great uh, parts of this gig is, you know, free travel, going to different places. And, uh, yeah, I do I do think that it's, you know, going to be kind of an outlier, but I don't think it's going to be the only outlier. I, I do think that there's going to be a plan uh, to kind of mitigate that and, you know, bring the, you know, kind of bridge that gap a little bit. So I, I would be surprised if this is the only expansion market that we see down in that area. You know, I've seen that there's been some talk about Shreveport, uh, which used to be in the league, um, trying to get something going to come back in here. You do got areas like uh, Huntsville, Alabama, that would not be that far from uh, Murphy's Row uh, here. You got um, Little Rock and areas like that. Uh, Oklahoma City, I know that they have a AAA team there, but the American Association has not been afraid to get in cities where there was major league teams. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see them trying to get another club back there or Tulsa or something like that so that they could have some the kind of some natural um, stopovers working their way down to Cleburne or working their way out towards Tennessee. And so um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a, a very different South Division or, or kind of a West or East Division or something that they wind up working out here uh, within the next year or two. So should be exciting times. and. Uh, Man, the Kevin, the uh, league just figures out ways to just really do stuff right every time, it seems like, to us. You know, another interesting aspect I find with this, too, is that Nashville is rumored to be either a relocation market or an expansion market for MLB. So if you got that team, like, however many miles from Nashville, that could be really good because baseball interest is going to be at an all-time high with the expansion team or relocated team in Nashville. But then you're going to have those fans are going to want a minor league market and minor league prices and affordable entertainment that are going to venture out that way and try to catch some baseball. So, you know, I I think it's definitely um, going to be an exciting time for the league going ahead and seeing seeing where expansion does take this league. Hopefully not too many teams. I mean, you and I have a hard enough time keeping up with 12 teams. We don't need the same to get up to, like, 18 or 20. Otherwise, you're going to have to hire somebody else or get an intern or something. This week in the association, maybe three hours every Monday night at that point. So, <laughs> well, the guys get a break here for a night. Uh, Kevin Tanner and myself will be back on Saturday night to talk to you about game one. I do have one other thing before we go, though. Go ahead. Please tell me. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We were, talk, we, were, we were talking about the Frontier League playoffs, and they resume on Friday night in Evansville. Well, I have another audio bit here. You know, we mentioned that there was a... that there was a... another 7-6 final score Quebec over Evansville. Well, that 7-6 score, Quebec came back once again to walk off Evansville, so... I got a, a sound bit here from a Jeremy Profar walk-off home run. Enjoy, especially if you know French. Le du championnat, terre en 
good was that? That was amazing. I think I heard Alleluia pro far. And if that's the case, that's yeah. fantastic. That is cold of the night. <laughs> Here, here's what I think now. That what, that's, what that should should challenge Tanner is that he's got to learn another language just to, just to give a call like that for a, a Sioux Falls Canaries victory. So that, that's your challenge this year, Tanner. Yeah, you know, yeah, if you we know, have if, our Festival of Cultures game, that, might, that may be the night to bring one of those out for us. <laughs> I would just make it your gimmick that if it's going to be a walk-off situation, you just break into French all of a sudden. (laughs) Find a different language every walk-off. You know, every time Jordan Barth is up, I need to come up with a different language and, uh, you know, make circle the globe, you know, get a, get a walk-off call in every language around the globe, every continent, something like that. I like what, what continent was it where, um, they called a playoff goal by Nick Bonino. I want to say Punjabi or something, but it, all you hear is Bonino, 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 Bonino. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'd love, I'd love to hear that Jabari, 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 Jabari. <laughs> oh man, yeah, you know, this is something we can brainstorm this off season. It, it wouldn't be a bad skill to have in the old back pocket. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we have way too many months to think of these kind of ideas. <laughs> That's well, the all right. Part, right? Well, the guy, once again, the guys and I will be back on Saturday night after game one. So for Kevin Luco and Tanner Hoops, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.